We read now from Holy Scripture, and this morning we're going to read from the prophecy of Ezekiel, from chapter 36. We'll begin reading with verse 16. In this chapter, the prophet expounds the Word of God, which explains why God is doing what He's doing to Israel, why already He has scattered the ten tribes, and will soon bring Judah into captivity, and even has taken a portion into captivity at the time of Ezekiel. The Lord explains why. It has to do with the idolatry and wickedness of the people. But God promises that He will gather them back together. And this chapter is especially notable because in it God explains His covenant promises and how He fulfills them. Namely, that included in the promise of God that He will be our God and we will be His people. That's the covenant promise. Is the fact that God washes us and gives us a new heart so that we obey Him, which is to the glory of His name. So take special attention of the references then also to the name of God because all of this concerns that. Verse 16, Moreover the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their own doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land, and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, in, unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do this, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleannesses, 
And I will call for the corn, and will increase it, and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree, and the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways, and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the wastes shall be builded. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock, as the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord." We read that far in God's holy word. We turn this morning to Lord's Day 47, which is the first petition, Hallowed be thy name, that is, grant us first rightly to know thee, and to sanctify, glorify, and praise Thee in all Thy works, in which Thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that Thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, prayer is a form of fellowship with God. When we pray to God, we fellowship with Him. Our gracious God has established a relationship of friendship and fellowship with us, and the result of that gracious covenant is that we live in that relationship, worshiping Him, honoring Him, and glorifying Him, indeed even for the very relationship itself which God has made. In that relationship, we speak to God, and prayer is the name that we give to that communication with God as His friends. There is, therefore, a close relationship between prayer and obeying the law of God, and even the law of God itself. There is a similarity in their nature. Both are expressions of fellowship with God. In the law, God speaks to us. It is an expression of His will and His righteousness and His holiness. In that law, God 
teaches us what fellowship with Him looks like, what its content consists of. It sets forth, as we say, our part in the covenant. That in that covenant, wherein God loves us and loves us first, we in turn love Him and also love our neighbor. And therefore also there is a similarity between the content of the law of God and the content of prayer. You see that when you see that the law of God is divided into two parts, two tables, that which we owe to God in the covenant and that which we owe to our neighbor. Similarly, prayer and the instruction in prayer from our Lord Jesus Christ is divided into two main parts. Petitions that concern God and our relationship with God, and secondly, petitions concerning ourselves and indeed ourselves in relationship to our neighbor. And this morning we consider the first petition of that first part of prayer, the request for God's name. And we consider that under the theme praying for God's holy name. Praying for God's holy name. We consider, first of all, what it is that we request, what we request. Secondly, how does God grant this request? And then thirdly, why do we make this request? What it is that we request concerns the name of God. And the fact that this is a request or a petition is significant. It's something that could easily be overlooked that we ourselves ought to stop and pause a minute to reflect on. The fact that the Heidelberg Catechism here, when explaining these words, hallowed be thy name, calls that not praise or worship or a confession, which it is, Hallowed be thy name is a statement. It may be taken as praise to God. It may be taken even as a hallowing of his name, an honoring of his name, worship of his name. But it is first and foremost a petition. And our fathers see that because it is part of the prayer. Prayer is the means by which we ask God for things that we need and are dependent upon Him for. And our fathers say that this statement, hallowed be thy name, is the first petition, the first request that we make to God. We should note that. We should note that importantly and significantly. There is something seriously wrong with our prayers. There is something seriously wrong with us when our prayers are characterized simply as requests that concern us directly. Oh yes, there's a concern here about us there is a connection between this request for the hallowing of God's name and us that's so clear when our fathers point out that when we make this request, God answers it, and we expect God to answer it by, first of all, teaching us rightly to know God. So it concerns us. And secondly, that God cause us 
to obey Him, to follow Him, to honor and serve Him, which again concerns us. But notice that's only secondarily. Our fathers do not mean to say when they give that answer that in this request we are really talking about ourselves under disguise. That when we make this request, we make it even in a selfish way. You may read the meditation that I put in the bulletin from John Calvin in that regard, who says that even when we make this request, we ought to keep ourselves out of view. We ought to not even be thinking of ourselves as such. Certainly, God will hallow His name by sanctifying us. God, as it were, makes His name holy and glorifies His name by making us holy and glorifying us. There's something absolutely astounding about that. But this request is about God. It concerns specifically the name of God, and that should not be overlooked. The Catechism itself, time and time again, has emphasized the significance of the name of God. It's actually the subject of no less than five Lord's Days. In Lord's Day 12, for example, we read that we are become or made members of Christ. And if I were to ask you, why are you made a member of Christ? Why does God join you to Christ by faith? Why does God give you that faith and then by that faith join you to Christ? Your response is likely to be, again, self-centered and focus on yourself so that I might be saved. That's not the answer. The mem- we are made members of Christ by faith so that we may confess His name. If you do not confess His name, then there is good reason for you to doubt whether you are joined to Christ and a member of Christ by faith. Because that's not only the purpose of being joined to Christ by faith, but that's it's a fact. God, for His own name's sake, to use the language of Ezekiel 36. I hope you notice that emphasis from God. God reminds the nation of Israel why He did what He did, why He scattered them all over the earth, among the nations did things that even the nation scratched their head about. And God said He did that because you profaned my holy name with all your idolatry. But God says, I'm going to gather you again. And when I gather you again, you're going to confess my name. You're going to get rid of your idols. You're going to live in the land as my people. And why does God do that? For their sakes? No, God says, I'm not doing this for your sake. You've shown that you don't care about my name. You've shown that you like the name of all kinds of idols, of gold and silver and pleasure and self-gratification more than my name. So I will do this for my name's sake. I will do this to make my name holy. So, even when we look ahead and see that God answers this by causing us to rightly know Him, understand that's part of the reason for this first point. One thing we need to know is that you are given faith and become a member of Christ for one reason, so that you might confess His name such as the name of God. In Lord's Day 26, we read 
that we are baptized into the name of God. The name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we're baptized into. Not simply baptized by the name. We are baptized into that name so that that name is upon us and we bear it. So that even in the eyes of others, they cannot look upon you and see you apart from the name of God, which explains why the Catechism, for example, says that when we do not order and direct our lives in harmony with the name of God, then the name of God is blasphemed on our account. Others see us, and they say, aren't those Christians, aren't those the individuals that are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Look at the way they live. So much for the name of God. In Lord's Days 36 and 37, on the third commandment, our fathers teach us that such is the holy name of God that there's no sin more heinous or provoking to God than that His name is blasphemed. Keep in mind, talking there, not simply about using certain words and language, but talking there about our sin. Remember, when we walk in our own way and not according to the way of God, we blaspheme the name of God. There's, as it were, a double condemnation there. Not only are we guilty of violating God's will and His way, but we blaspheme His name even more exactly because we are bearing His name. Then, if that weren't enough, Lord's Day 52, last Lord's Day, the last one on prayer, says all this we pray, not that we, but that God's holy name be glorified forever. All this we pray. All this that we pray, not simply about God's name, but about God's kingdom and God's will being done. The petition we're going to make for daily bread doesn't concern us. Doesn't concern even the glorifying of our name, but that God's name be glorified. Keep that in mind. Not only does God supply us with daily bread, but He gives us much, much, much more. Just like the children of Israel were placed in a land flowing with milk and honey where life was good, <clears throat> God treats us well, gives us more than we need. And our great sin is we take all of that and we turn it and use it for our own glory and the glory of our name. And we're reminded at the very end of the catechism that even when we pray for daily bread, we pray it, not that our name, but that God's name be glorified. Think about that. How often do we buy possessions and want possessions and use possessions and flaunt possessions and show everybody our possessions not for God's glory. We don't even show them to people and say, look what God has given me. Look what God has given me here. But look what I've gotten. Look what I've gained. Look at my car and my house and my children and my clothes. How sick and twisted is our thinking the importance of God's name is also evident in Scripture everywhere. The great mark, the great characteristic of the seed of the woman in distinction from the seed of the devil. In the book of Genesis, both prior to the flood and afterwards in the life of the patriarchs, we read is that they 
called on the name of God. And when God appears to Moses in the burning bush, then both Moses and God are concerned about his name. No, Moses asks about that name and God reveals his name. The one who will save all Israel and even the Egyptians must know that the one who delivers Israel from the bondage and slavery of their sin is Jehovah God, the I Am. Look at Jesus. Jesus declared, I come, and this is remarkable if you think about who Jesus is, not in my own name. Time and time again, Jesus, and this is remarkable, doesn't point to himself, but to his Father. I come in my Father's name, and I do my Father's will. And on the eve of his death, and he's praying his prayer, his prayer is for the glory of God's name, the honoring of God's name. Why is that? Well, right there is where God's name is seen to be holy, and indeed the only holy name. Such is the holiness of God's name that it is completely different from every other name. That's what hallowed means. That's what hallowing means. Hallowing and hallowed are simply forms of holy. Holy. Halloween is a word derived simply from the idea of the Holy Eve, the Holy Night Before, the night before All Saints' Day in the Roman Catholic system. So hallowed and hallowing means holy or to sanctify or be sanctified. Leviticus 22, we read, Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you. And that's the same word that Jesus uses for the sanctifying of his people, that is, making them holy. To be sanctified or holy means to be set apart, different. You cannot be holy unless you're different cannot be holy unless you're separated from, cannot be holy unless you're separated also unto something. You're separated from something and separated unto something. That's holiness. God's name is holy because it is set apart. It is different from every other name in that you and I are identified with our names we know one another and distinguish one another by our names. But our names are not only not unique, there's others who bear our name. Only God bears His name. And for anybody, anyone, including us, who indeed bear the name of God and who are baptized into that name, may not take the name of God upon our lips and upon ourselves, that's blasphemy, then the name of God is no longer holy. Oh yes, we are identified with God, so much so that God's name can be blasphemed on our account, but we are not the name of God in that we bear that name so that it becomes my name. God's name is unique, and it's unique because it is God. The name of God is that which reveals who and what God is. And as God's name is, so God is. Blaspheme the name of God, and you blaspheme God. Call upon the name of God, and you call upon God Himself. Learn the name of God and you learn God. Hear from the name of God and you hear from God. Learn the name of God and you learn of God Himself. It's an amazing thing. 
It's because God Himself is holy. And God must reveal Himself for us to know who and what He is. And so He gives forth His name. He sends forth His name. He gives Himself a name so that others might know who and what He is. And therefore, the name of God, really, and this is what Scripture teaches, isn't simply an appellation, something that comes forth from our lips, but anything that reveals who and what God is, is His name. The creation. The creation is really the name of God, bears the name of God. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. And then we read, the heavens declare, they speak the name of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Everything that God does in creation and providence teaches and sets forth who and what God is. And don't forget, even shows forth to the ungodly who and what God is. What He's like, and that He's unlike any creature that He ought to be served and worship as uniquely great and holy. But how much more than God's work of redeeming and sanctifying His people. This right here is where we can recognize that God's work of salvation has two great parts. That of forgiving our sin or justifying us, but also that about which we read, that of God sanctifying us. That is, making us holy as He is holy. And that also glorifies his name, minimize that work, do injustice to that work, even in the name of grace, then you do that to God himself. It is his great work. In fact, we may say on the basis of Scripture that God justifies us or declares us to be righteous so that... He can sanctify and may sanctify us, make us then holy, dedicated unto Him. It's amazing that that's even brought out in the passage that we read in Ezekiel 36, where God says, this is first what I'm going to do. I'm going to baptize you, wash you with water. Then I'm going to regenerate you. I'm going to put a new heart and a new spirit in you. And I'm going to take away that stony heart. And after that, then you will know. Only after that. Only then shall ye remember your own evil ways. Be prior to that, we don't even know our evil ways. We don't even know our sin. We don't even know our iniquity. Without God giving us a new heart. Without God giving us a new spirit without God washing us in the blood of Jesus Christ. When God reveals His holiness and points out His will and His way, we say, what? What? What did I do? I'm a good person. I'm fine. Only then, only then after what God does, will ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourself. You understand what's being described there. Repentance. God works that in us. Amazing. Why does God do that? Because it's the revelation of His name. This all concerns the name of God. God reveals Himself, however, even more importantly, and especially we must say, by Jesus Christ. The name of God is the name of Jesus the Christ. And that explains why the Son of God plays so prominent a place in all of God's works. Even creation. It's false doctrine. It's a great misunderstanding to see Jesus, the Son of God, as only involved in salvation or even necessary with regard to salvation. No, he's involved, if you look closely, with every revelation of God. Even in the beginning, God spoke the Word, the Word of His name. 
which is why we read, for example, that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for all things were created by Him, that is, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is before all things. By Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence, for it pleased God that in Him should all fullness dwell. Jesus reveals not only the salvation of God and the greatness of God in salvation, but all of His works and His ways. And this explains why, beloved, it is truly impossible to call upon the name of God without calling upon the name of God through His name, Jesus Christ. Why our prayers are made for His sake. And again, I place before you this morning the Belgic Confession, Article 26, on the intercession and mediatorship of Jesus Christ. It's right at this point that our creeds emphasize that there is no access, no way unto the Father, no way even to pray unless it's through Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man, and explains that very, very well. But understand, that's not simply a matter for you and me of praying in Jesus' name and sticking that at the end of our prayer. Even at the beginning of our prayer, when we say, hallowed be thy name, one ought to have the understanding that the chief way that that name is hallowed is when we remember that God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that God has revealed Himself most fully and wonderfully and completely in Him and Him alone. There truly is no way to know God rightly and truly and savingly except through Him. And when we forget that, and when we ignore that, then we are calling upon an idol. Then our prayers are not heard then God will be distant to us. And we will find ourselves then attempting to pray to God through saints and other creatures, which is the long-said history of the church. We expect God to grant this request two ways. First of all, that God grant us first rightly to know Thee. To know Thee. That's an amazing thing. Because it not only shows once again that the heathen cannot pray, but that we cannot pray. It shows that we truly do not know God unless God reveals Himself. Unless God teaches us. Unless God instructs us. And God, unless God says, this is my name. Oh yes, God reveals Himself to all. They all can see, we can see, all can see who and what God is, that He ought to be worshipped, but we don't rightly know Him. That's not a problem with the revelation of God. That's the problem with us. The problem is our ignorance and our blindness that we turn from the revelation of God in unrighteousness. And if you doubt that, simply look at yourselves. You and I... Often, even as regenerated children of God with new hearts, find ourselves doing that. How quickly and easily we like to turn the name of God and the revelation of God that we find in creation, that we find in His Word, that is evident in Jesus Christ, and we turn it into our own thing, what we think God ought to be. That's an idol. We pray this petition in recognition that we don't rightly know God. And even when we rightly know God, there is more and more and more to learn. And keep in mind here, we make this prayer as we do the prayer for daily bread, recognizing that's what we need. The child of God, you and I, who have been instructed in the Reformed faith, who know the creeds, who attend the house of God frequently to hear His Word, who hear doctrinal and good practical preaching, who know our Scriptures and read them, may never ever 
take the approach while I rightly know God. And that's enough. I know enough. Enough for what? What do you mean you know enough? What do you mean that you don't really have to pull your Bible out and read it frequently and often? What do you mean that it's okay for you to just upset yourself from the house of God because you know enough? Enough what? You see the problem there? That selfish thinking. Enough with regard to your own salvation, maybe? Huh? Know enough that you can have God look kindly upon you? Uh, know enough to please yourself? Know, know enough to satisfy your own curiosity? Or enough to know your own um, salvation, as it were? And you don't know anything. You don't know the name of God. You don't rightly know the name of God. If we truly in hunger and thirst after righteousness, like we hunger and thirst after all kinds of earthly food then you can never really have enough. Even when you're satisfied, there will be a longing and a hunger and a thirst to know God rightly. Well, what's the measure of that? Well, surely it's the truth of God, the doctrine of God contained in the Word of God, but don't forget that that's the purpose of God's law too. God in His law sets forth the standard. This is what righteousness is. This is what I uphold. This is my will. This is my way. So that always, and even in the light of God's law, we can say, I don't know enough. I need to know more. And don't forget that knowledge, too, is a knowledge of love. Not simply that we know God as some sort of formal doctrine or doctrinal statements, which are all true. You cannot know God apart from good theology, good doctrinal statements such as we find in our creeds and as we find in the Holy Scriptures. But that's not knowing God, simply to know those or even know the truth of them. To know God rightly is to love God, love God as our God, love God as the God who saves us and redeems us, the God who makes Himself our God and makes us His people, the God who baptizes us into Jesus Christ who does that of himself and for himself, the God that regenerates us and gives us a new spirit and a new heart according to his own promise. Not as something I must do before God does something else. That God does that even to work repentance in me and in you. Don't forget, it's a prayer also that God destroy and eliminate Get rid of any false notions of Him that we have or others have. If you want to know why sometimes we have to wrestle and deal with issues in our own personal life, why sometimes we're restless upon our bed at night, or God brings trouble and affliction upon us or upon the church, then realize that it's an answer to this prayer. God saying, you want to rightly know me? All right, here's what you need to know. You need to know you're way too smug in your own self-righteousness. You need to know that I'm the one who saves. That I'm the one who gives you all that you need. You need to know that I am God. And there is no other. You need to know that you have many idols and gods in your own life. Secondly, and following close behind that, is that God sanctify us so that we are holy. Notice, that's the idea that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed on our account. Take a look at that, will you please? First of all, notice that you cannot be holy and you cannot be sanctified unless your life is ordered and directed unless you order and direct your life. God does not order and direct your life apart from you ordering and directing your life. To put it another way, if God is going to order and direct your life, He will do it through you. It concerns your thoughts, words, and actions. Take note of that. And then as soon as you're done with that, take note 
that you now make this request to God. It's not a request to yourself, whereby we get up in the morning, we pray basically to ourselves, which is what the Pharisee did. The Pharisee, when he's gathered in the temple in his own self-smug righteousness, which showed itself by saying, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. Oh, I'm, I'm thankful I'm this and that and not like these, even this publican over here who's busy talking about his sin. But notice he was praying to himself. We can do that. I'm going to pray to myself. Oh, we use the name of God and we invoke the name of God. But we're really praying to ourselves. And our prayer often is what we're going to do. And sometimes we may even have what we call good intentions. I'm going to put away my drink. I'm going to put away my silly idols. I'm going to put away all my selfish thoughts. Hmm. Maybe you should start here. That you pray to God. Hallowed be thy name. And that's a prayer. Not to oneself. That I now am resolved to order and direct my life. So it will involve that. But it's a prayer that God worked that. Remember this is a request. And a petition to God. That's what we must always remember. God sanctifies us. And God works us in the way of prayer. In the same way that He is pleased to provide our daily bread in the way of prayer. He uses that to make us see that we didn't put the bread on our table even though we went out and had a job, got a job, worked hard. God put the bread on your table and prayer recognizes that. So also, if there's any ordering and directing of your life, your thoughts, words, and actions, so that they praise and honor God, it begins with praying to God. And then notice, this is God again teaching us. Then not even directly. If you want to know where this is prayed directly, there is a petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's basically the same petition but made directly. But notice where the prayer begins by making it indirectly. You see, even when it comes to our holiness, even when it comes to a true and real desire that we order and direct our lives according to the Word of God, it's not about us. And if it is about us, we will find failure and defeat. We will find frustration. You will find yourself exhausted. That's working for your salvation. But you see, when you recognize that what's wrong with our life, that which is so sinful, that which is so wicked, is that our life is not to the praise and glory of God, to the honoring of His name. That's the problem. That's the issue. I may have a wonderful marriage from many points of view, so that many even in the church look at my marriage and say, wow, what a wonderful marriage. Look at how they love each other. Look what happiness and bliss they have. Oh, they don't seem to have any problems. That wouldn't be true of any marriage. But you see, that marriage can still be God-dishonoring and even blaspheme the name of God, even though there's no division and no divorce. Because that marriage is not directed and ordered for God's sake to the name and honor and glory of God. You see? It's why we can gather for worship and, 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 and use the name of God and do all kinds of God things and have all kinds of God talk, but it's not really honoring to God at all, but dishonoring. Because we don't see that what we do here is the hallowing of God's name. God has saved and redeemed us to the hallowing of His name. And that brings us then finally to the motive. Well, why do you make this prayer then? Well, first of all, because we recognize that need. We don't make this prayer because we're commanded to, although we do. 
We're not motivated to make this prayer because, well, this is something we check off our box that God wants of us. But it's because we recognize this is our one great need. You see, God doesn't sanctify us for our sake. God sanctifies us. God causes us to rightly know Him. God is in a covenant with us and made that a covenant and establishes that covenant for His name's sake. It's about Him. And we make this request because by faith we believe that to be true. It's the first petition for a reason. The concern about God's name is in the first part of the table of the law. For a reason. Everything is always about God. And so we make this prayer in the first place because if we have faith, then we believe that's true. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not even about our holiness and our right knowledge. It's about God. Secondly, if indeed we know God only through Jesus Christ, who fully reveals the will of God and is the perfect revelation of God, then you will make this prayer because you love God. You love this God who has revealed himself not only in his holiness and righteousness and grace and truth, but has revealed all of that in Jesus Christ. Such is his holiness. Such is his awesome majesty that there's no way to be holy, there's no way to even call upon the name of God apart from Him. Look what God did to His own Son. And then consider the holiness of God revealed in that. And consider that God did that for His name's sake. That you and I are members of Christ, that you and I are being taught this morning for God's sake. And then ask yourself, do you indeed love that God? That's what moves us. Love of God for that God who has so done these things for us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy name, O Lord, is indeed holy without us. Thy name is indeed great and wonderful even without the world and apart from the world. But thou hast chosen to reveal that name as great above every name and to do that in a very wonderful way by showing thy grace and mercy and love to us in Jesus Christ. O Lord, we give thee thanks and we pray that thou wilt hallow thy name by causing us to rightly know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise Thee in all Thy works, and so that we may order and direct our lives to the honor and praise of Thy name. And in Thy name, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.